0: This is the 9680 Podcast, episode 16, Roman Comedy. Today on the 9680 Podcast, we're going to be doing something a bit different. Instead of covering a specific time period, today we're going to be talking about a specific topic of Roman history that is more general, and that is Roman Comedy. What I mean by saying Roman comedy is that after the middle of the 3rd century BCE, the Romans started and never stopped performing Greek-style comedic plays. I will have to do an episode entirely on Roman festivals because there's a lot going on there. Chariot races, gladiatorial games, other games, and also performances. This performance aspect came a bit later in Rome's history after the chariot races and gladiatorial games, but there is a rich history of the staged written performances throughout all of its history. This is interesting because the supposed origin date of comedy and tragedy in the forms of Greek plays translated into Latin starts in 240 BCE. It starts with the height of the Roman Republic, it starts with the Roman Republic becoming a superpower, and the Roman Republic's introduction of Greek civilization. You could say that around this time, the First Punic War, the establishment of Roman control over the entire Italian peninsula and the first provinces, is a time of big change, a time that it became more Greek. The Roman comedies are particularly interesting. Believe it or not, they're actually pretty funny. Most of the plays we have are by two playwrights, Plautus and Terence, and they are all adaptions of Greek plays. These are plays that have stock characters, stock stories, stock locations, stock plot elements. If you looked up the date of the first comedic performances in Rome, this is the answer that you would get. They took place in 240 BCE and were put on by Livius Andronicus. There is much to question about this date, and the question of why this date was chosen is quite an interesting one to answer. The fact is, 240 BCE and Livius Andronicus seems to be, in part at least, a fabrication by later Romans to write a particular narrative into their history. The main thing we need to understand is that despite the fact that the Greek-style comedies were first put on in the late 3rd century BCE, The Romans absolutely had access to other types of performances, other types of comedy, and theatre long before the Greeks and Livius Andronicus. The Romans of 240 BCE would have had particular tastes and interests in what they wanted to see on the stage. It is the distinct cultural identity that the Romans had, because of their familiarity with theatre, that caused playwrights to adapt Greek plays in particular ways to cater to the Roman audience. The plays created by Plautus and Terence because of this type of adaption became massive successes. In 240 BCE, Rome had emerged from his largest and most consequential war yet, the First Punic War. This year is the first year that sees Rome as a true power on the Mediterranean, and the entertainment that the Romans enjoy becomes more cosmopolitan, like their new empire. Roman comedy was not invented in a vacuum. The romantic notion that a foreigner appeared in Rome in 240 BCE and put on shows that would become staples of entertainment is generally quite unbelievable. There is ample evidence that shows a variety of different types of what you might call proto-comedy in Rome, each of which would have made the citizens of Rome familiar with aspects of comedy, and its cultural taste would inform playwrights on how to adapt the stories for the Roman audience. Centuries before the date of Livius Andronicus' inaugural plays, the natives of Italy practiced several different forms of comedy. Firstly, particular components of traditional Roman religion are reminiscent of comedy. Roman rituals featured scripts and gestures with strict rules and had consistent performances, just like what you might see with a staged performance. Specifically, the Fescanine Verses of Roman Festivals featured costumed performers, singing, dancing, recitations of satirical and improvised verses. The ancient rural festivals of Rome and other Italian peoples would have had forms of dramatic dialogues in verse as well. In this way, the Roman religion had an inherent theatrical aspect. The Romans would have been used to, for as long as they could remember, being entertained and exposed to simple and crude theatrical performances. The translation onto the stage, then, is quite natural. This translation into a more advanced type of comedy starts with influence from Rome's Italian neighbors. The Oscans to the northeast performed some kinds of farce, or comedic performances, in the 4th century BCE. These performances were based on stock characters, stock stories, performed by actors in masks, and told domestic and everyday stories of living in rural Oskia, just like the future performances that the Romans would enjoy from the Greek style. This Oskian farce was taken up by the Romans, and given that Ostia was closer to Rome than the Greeks living on the Italian peninsula, The direct Oscan influence was felt before the Greek influence in the mid-3rd century BCE. In Italy, east and south would have been Oskia, and then further east and south of them would have been Magna Graecia. Magna Graecia, which means greater Greece, is where a bunch of Greek colonists settled starting from the 7th century BCE on the toe and heel of Italy. The particularly crude form of comedy from Oskia would be performed itself, separate from the Greek-style plays, into the imperial period, and the Greek-style comedy would grow to be similar to it. It would be modified in such a way to be reminiscent of this Oskian farce. Playwrights writing for a Roman audience knew of the interest in the Oskian slapstick plays, so they would alter their plays to suit that taste. There's also no doubt that the Etruscans to the northwest had their own theatrical tradition, which we can see in both literary and archaeological evidence. And given that Etruria was enveloped by Rome in the early 3rd century BCE, the theatrical tradition of Etruria would have, at the very least, been familiar to the Romans. They would have all seen and known of the Etruscan plays. So the idea of a play in 240 BCE was not foreign. The theatrical traditions of Oskia, Etruria, and the Roman religion itself does suggest that performing comedy on stage wasn't as foreign to the Romans as you might expect, and that adapting Greek-style plays was simply a shift in taste and interest, rather than an earth-shattering innovation. The Romans were not devoid of comedy or performances, both scripted and unscripted. The Romans had their own performance tradition, and it melded with Greek traditions. It simply may be the case to us that the Greek traditions had more influence onto the later history of Rome, so we know far more about it, and it obscures the actual origins of Roman performances. The later comedic plays by Romans would make use of these Italian traditions and history. Plautus's plays, in particular, were written with a particular focus on mannered comedy and crude slapstick, since this was what the audience was both interested in and used to seeing. Now, Given that the Romans had a long history with crude and comedic performances, and that it's even rooted within their religion, the question remains, why is Livius Andronicus and the year 240 BCE a part of the ancient Roman historical canon? Recall that the myth goes that Livius Andronicus in 240 BCE put on the first Greek-style plays in Rome. This is came to us from Cicero and Livy, who made those claims of Livius Andronicus being the first man to host Greek-style plays. But they were writing all the way in the first century BCE, centuries after the supposed date. It seems to be the case that the sentiment was maintained by most Romans far into the imperial period, given that Gellius, in the 2nd century AD, would latch onto and expand this narrative. So, this narrative created by Cicero and Livy was the historical canon for later Romans. This is how they viewed their past, through Livius Andronicus in 240 BCE. This narrative, based on what the ancient authors tell us, is that Lucius Livius Andronicus was captured from Tarentum in the south of Italy in 272 BCE, while he was in his twenties. Tarentum was of course a Greek city in southern Italy, and therefore Livius Andronicus is Greek. He lived in Rome late into his eighties, with his plays being first performed in his sixties, in 240 BCE. Originally in Livy and Cicero, he is simply referred to as Livius. It wasn't until the second century CE that the Lucius Praenomen, and the Andronicus Cognomen, the first and third names, were added by Gellius. Andronicus suggests a Greek origin, this is a Greek name, and it also suggests a slave origin. The Roman Lucius Prinomen suggests full integration to the Roman society, freedom from slavery, and perhaps citizenship. He had the full three Roman names, like you would expect from Gaius Julius Caesar. The narrative being peddled by these ancient authors is that the greek style theater was an import into rome brought by a captured greek who fully integrated himself into roman society the story of livius andronicus is representative of how livy and cicero viewed theater itself that the theater is like a foreign greek slave that integrated itself into roman culture it may be roman yes but it still has foreign and lowly roots there is a reason to believe that this narrative is either partially or entirely wrong. We don't have extremely accurate records dating back to even 200 BCE, about when and which plays are being performed in Roman festivals, and it seems likely that Cicero and Livy didn't have good quality sources to back up their stories of Livius Andronicus. Accius, a tragic poet born in 170 BCE, who was known to the young Cicero, argued that Livius Andronicus first performed his plays in 197 BCE and was captured during the destruction of Tarentum in 209 BCE, rather than 272. This obviously conflicts with Cicero's view and messes up the entire narrative, since 197 is well into the careers of the comedic playwright poet and the tragic playwright Ennius, meaning that he would not be the first. If Cicero had high quality sources to back up this argument, such as the yearly records that were kept by the priests or magistrates, he would have argued that the quality of his sources proved his point, but he did not argue the preeminence of his sources, and he does not even cite them. The question remains though, why would Cicero fudge the historical record this way and not give Accius's view the benefit of the doubt, given that he was a poet, writing not long after Livius Andronicus was alive. I mean, Acius was born in 170, and Cicero was born in like 106. What is so special about 240 BCE and Lucius Livius Andronicus? This year is the first year of peace. The First Punic War had finished the year prior, and it was the first year of peace after the Greek colonies in the south of Italy were incorporated into the Roman Empire. 240 BCE, was therefore a symbol of a new era, inspired by the culture of the conquered Greeks and as a superpower on the Mediterranean. Cicero simply pointed to the fact that Livius Andronicus performed his plays in 240 BCE, but Gellius, hundreds of years later, would elaborate on the social and political aspects of this, solidifying that this was the way in which the Romans thought of the origin of performances in their state, that it was a result of their expansion into the role of a superpower and the envelopment of Greek cities. Livius Andronicus is a very peculiar choice to be the father of plays in Rome. Not long after the supposed first performances in 240 BCE do we have the wildly popular Plautus and Ennius, each of which could have been inspiring choices as Rome's first playwrights both defining their genres and contributing massively to the Roman performance catalogue for the rest of their history. If Livius Andronicus was not pushed in the way that Cicero and Livy pushed him, I could imagine the later Romans happily looking back on Plautus or Ennius as the father of their poetic traditions. The reason why Livius Andronicus is chosen is because he is specifically the opposite of them. His plays are described by Cicero as not worth a second read, The only credit he gets from him is that he's the first playwright. His plays weren't very high quality, we don't have any of them left. All we know is that he was the first. Cicero also views him as a logical continuation of the Greek tradition of comedy, from Euripides and Sophocles to Menander. The simple fact that he is uninteresting and foreign is the reason he is attractive to Cicero for this purpose since he doesn't want to highlight a particularly noble start to the practice, since he wants it to seem foreign and somewhat less than. Conservatives in Rome would look down upon foreign and Greek ventures as something that isn't Roman and something that's degrading the state, so he didn't want to give it an inspired and worthwhile beginning. It seems to be the case that the Romans, in their early history, in the time of the monarchy, were focused on their state and their military, because this was what was expected of good Romans. It wasn't until the introduction of Magna Graecia into the Empire and Rome's new status as a superpower in the Mediterranean that they decided to look inwards and allow the Greek influence to set in. We know of a Roman mythological story in which Romulus told his followers to abandon cultural expression in favor of farming and military. And this sentiment was continued by Romans in the future, especially far into the future, with conservative Romans like Cicero trying to replicate the values of the past, that these are the true values that the Romans should have. Farming, military, no cultural expression. And so the comedy and tragedy and other elements that came from the culture of Greece were seen as bad. And this aversion to cultural expression was central to the Roman identity. It was not just an opinion of a couple prudish senators. Plautus and Ennius are more Roman than Livius Andronicus, especially Plautus, and are known for quality writing. Cicero and Livy would have wanted to avoid associating good Romans with the Greek-style comedies. This leads into another reason why 240 BCE was strategically chosen. At this time, Plautus would have been a teenager and Ennius would have been in the womb. The narrative of Accius having Livius Andronicus first performing in 197 puts the performances into the careers of Plautus and Ennius, like I mentioned. And Cicero specifically mentions that Andronicus' first plays were the year before Ennius was born, making it clear as day to the audience that he predates Ennius. Now let's talk about the economy of performances. Putting on theatre requires three absolutely essential components. Someone to fund the show, someone to perform it, and someone to watch it. It should follow naturally, then, that there must be incentives for each of these groups. Incentives for someone to put on the play, lucrative pay for the performers, and a sizable audience to attend these shows. The playwrights had to make their plays with this in mind, and we can see that reflected in the extant plays of Plautus and Terence. The plays may not reflect contemporary society, but they would contain the playwrights' views on contemporary society. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, the comedies of the 3rd and 2nd century BCE were performed during festivals. They played alongside and competed with other performances, games, and festivities. The magistrate putting on this show, such as the Eidele or the Praetor, would purchase an acting troupe to put on the performance, hoping to curry favor from the population so they could win future elections. The festivals in Rome were almost always funded personally by an individual. Eidele's and Praetors could put on shows, or someone could host shows, funerary games for a dead relative or something like that, and these shows were to boost their political career. They would put on amazing shows so everyone knows who they are. Simple as that. And so the acting troupe would have to sell the magistrate on how much favor they can gain from the audience. Meaning, they would have to put on the most attractive, attended, and enjoyed shows for the lowest costs. Most troops would only have been a couple actors, each playing multiple roles, inspired from the Greek model of only having three actors for the entire play. The Romans didn't fully adhere to this because, screw the Greek traditions, so they maybe had two to four actors. And frequently, playwrights themselves would have their own acting troops and might even perform in their own plays. Otherwise, troops might have a playwright on their payroll or purchase scripts to plays directly from playwrights. The industry was cutthroat and was always in motion. Playwrights always had to put out material that can match all other forms of contemporary entertainment. It's not only the chariot races and various games that were hard to compete with, and they certainly were, but the other poets and their plays would be more direct competition. We know that Plautus and Terence's comedies were rather depoliticized. Plautus would play with the boundaries between Greece and Rome. Roman institutions and language were referenced, but a Greek setting was kept so the similarities and differences between the cultures could be played for laughs. Characters would act deliberately or excessively Greek to play up the differences in their culture. Playwrights like Terence would have had managers who purchased plays directly from them, then made a profit themselves by putting on the performances. These managers would promote the plays and the playwright, but after making the sale of the script, the playwright would gain nothing from the plays except notoriety. This of course wasn't particularly a problem, since Terence, for example, was massively wealthy and had a large estate at the time of his death. There was no copyright system in Roman law, but we do know of Terence being accused of plagiarism, and that the rights to plays would get mixed up as the physical manuscripts were copied and sold, because there was no copyright at all in Rome. So all the playwright would do is physically write down their script and sell the physical script to someone, and whoever held the physical script, well, knew the words. That's all that mattered. Many playwrights, like Plautus and Terence, would frequently get accused of only caring for the profits. And in some way they were, since their plays were tailor-made in almost an assembly line fashion to reach the widest audiences possible to headline the biggest festivals, so they can have a massive price tag. The Roman comedies most popular in the early 3rd and late 2nd centuries BCE were adaptions of Greek comedies written in the 3rd century BCE from authors like Menander, Diphilus, Philemon, Apollodorus, and others. The question, then, is in adaption. How much did Plautus, Terence, and others alter the plays to be palatable to the Roman audience, and what can we learn about the audience that way? The answer is that they altered it considerably. We know that Plautus altered the Greek originals that he copied, sometimes quite considerably. There have been found to be considerable Plautine original components in the Brachides, and many Roman elements like specific ritual language found their way into the Cassina. Not all plays would be modified to the same degree, and it's quite difficult to analyze the differences without the Greek originals, because for the most part we don't have them. But Seasoning to Roman taste was certainly an element of the plays. Plautus wrote his plays in the late 3rd and early 2nd century BCE. So most of the plays were written during or after the Second Punic War, and during a contentious 20-year debate in Rome about women becoming too luxurious, because this would be opposing to Roman values of frugality and humility. The Lex Opia, a bill passed by the Roman Senate in 215, banned women from wearing particularly extravagant jewelry and clothing, and this was eventually repealed in 195, but was an extremely contentious issue for decades. The best example of a play connecting and engaging with Roman culture and society is Plautus' Poenulus, which means the little Carthaginian. This play has a Carthaginian character named Hanno as one of the main characters. One particular scene in this play can be read as both referencing Roman fears of Carthaginian power after the Second Punic War and the fears of growing luxury in highborn Roman women and the Lex Appia. In general, Plautus's Poenulus reflects the Roman views on Carthage and the Punic Wars. Hanno, the Carthaginian character, is portrayed as exotic, and this shows that Plautus would focus on contemporary and hot-button topics, poking fun at not only the enemies of the Roman people, but at the stereotypes and prejudices that face them as well. At this time in history, the Romans were fielding armies on three continents, facing victories and losses all over the Mediterranean. It has come to a point where the citizens of Rome are tired of constant triumphs and ovations in Rome, because mostly, they were celebrated, but not particularly earned, and they are happening like every day, goddammit. Plautus's plays contain mockeries of these constant ovations. In addition, Plautus's plays also bought into the military successes that Rome was facing by filling his plays with allusions to future and past military victories, playing into the collective superiority and authority that the Romans felt over the Mediterranean. Plautus also played into Roman values such as contemporary thoughts of moral decline in Rome, national accomplishment, piety, and the appreciation of the Romans of old. It should be clear that these inclusions would make the plays very popular in Rome. So what have we learned? The Romans fabricated, or at least elaborated, the history of comedy's introduction to Rome, to suit their values and preconceived notions of history. Whatever the true story of Livius Andronicus actually is, we know that Roman comedy was its own distinct form of entertainment. The Romans formulated a type of theatrics that fit their culture, their tastes, and their history. The Punic Wars, Rome's new status as a superpower, and the enveloping of Greek colonies put Rome into a position where there was a large audience for Greek plays adapted to the Roman taste. However different from the Greek originals, they actually were, we know that the comedic plays in the early 2nd century BCE contained fundamentally Roman aspects. Focus on military victories and processions, Roman virtues, language, and Roman legalese located the specifics of the plays in the Roman context. That will be all for today. For now, if you want to ask me questions or leave suggestions about the podcast, head on over to my de facto website, the 96AD subreddit. Just head on over to reddit.com slash r slash 96ad. You can find the link in the podcast description. I'll be posting updates about the podcast there, and I will respond to anybody who posts there or messages me. Another thing you'll find on the subreddit is a PayPal donate button. This is not required or expected. This podcast will remain free, and I don't aim to profit. However, donations will cover the cost of production, and will support me, a student, who is attempting to study, work, and produce this podcast all at once. Yeah, no,